The Ensemble podcast is intended for professional financial advisors. This content is created in partnership with our sponsor, Zurich Australia Limited, ABN 92000-010-195, AFSL 232-510, and is limited to publicly available information. Before acting on any general advice, you should consider whether appropriate and obtain financial advice from a qualified financial advisor. Ensemble does not hold an AFS license and does not provide any financial advice or services or endorse any general advice. If a PDS or IM exists, you should obtain a copy and review it thoroughly before making a decision. Hi, I'm Andrew Rocks from Ensemble and I'm thrilled to be bringing to you uh, the podcast Engine Room that's devoted entirely to the practices or the business of the business of financial advice. Over the course of the next many months, we're going to be interviewing Australia's best independent boutique advice firms, their practice managers, their GMs, on what environment is conducive to being a best practice, how they keep talent, how they attract talent, and what the future of financial advice is. It's the Engine Room Podcast. Welcome aboard. Zurich is proud to be supporting this episode. The Zurich and OnePath Advisor portal is more efficient than ever before, giving you access to two leading brands with three highly sought-after products, underpinned by two powerful underwriting engines, all with one simple sign-on, making it easier for you to do business and perform at your best. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Engine Room. Today in person, I'm joined with by two sparkly people who've come all the way from three blocks away. I'd like to, without any further ado, I'd like to welcome Belinda Dalton and Michael Bover from Family Wealth Advisory to the Engine Room. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Roxy. <laughs> oh, well, it, it was uh, it's my pleasure. I chased you for a little while, but I thought, well, let's just get a bit of Christmas cheer into everyone and, um, and regale them with how you've not only run your business well over the years, but more about how the evolution also of how Belinda has kicked off her career working in your organization and how she's graduated through to become the genuine general manager. So I suppose without any, uh, um, we might as well get right into it. And I'm going to kick off with yourself, uh, Belinda. Um, tell me, uh, you've been in financial services or around financial services, but I'd love to hear a bit about um, your backstory, you know, how did you end up with this buffet um, and, and uh, talking, talking to me? But um, yeah, go for it. Very good question. Um, so I started in this industry. I kind of graduated university. Um, Whereabouts I, was this? Uh, in Sydney. Yep. So um, graduated with an information systems bachelor of science degree. And I thought, what am I going to do with this? I ended up in a um, admin assistant role in a financial planning practice. So I kind of started doing all the risk applications and submitting paperwork and doing all of those types of things. And I moved, then did some study. And what year was that roughly? Oh, uh, that would have been 2003. Well, has a two in front of it. So you didn't have to, you didn't have to look that bad. So 2003, so we're talking just as AFSL started after the Royal Commission, is that right? So when when new AFSLs? Um, it was back when, oh, God, we were kind of licensed through um, Apogee back then and um, – it was back when it was not RG146, it was PS146. Right, there you go. So, PlayStation yeah. 146 for yeah, all the Gen Zs listening. Yes. So 20-odd uh, years ago. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I started there, did my study, became PS146 and became a, a, a like an associate advisor. And then after that, I kind of thought, well, I want to kind of move into another role in this industry. And the business that I was at at the time, they were licensed through Apogee. Um, and I thought, let's see what... Life is like on the other side of the fence on licensed sea land. Um, so I ended up at Hill Ross AMP. Okay. Yep. So Stuart Bell, I think you, you might know Stuart. He um, recruited me into Hill Ross, and we kind of did all of the practice development, practice management. So any so of were you there when they were going through that metamorphosis of bringing in sort of commonality and professionalism of look and feel? Was that part of that? That, that the evolution? Yeah. Yeah. So I was there kind of when, um, yeah, they went to the financial freedom um, brand as well and they were bringing that across too. So I was there for quite some years and we did the practice development side of things. So we ran the business optimization um, program in conjunction with the Encores and we worked with like, Sue at Elixir. We worked with a lot of those um, consultants in the industry to bring that to 
the um, Hillross Advisors. So a shout out to Encore. I think that's Tom at Encore and uh, and Sue at Elixir. And uh, those guys quite often join me here to unpack the businesses as well. So it's funny, you know, what goes around sort of comes around in financial planning, isn't it? It's a very small industry. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so I, I moved on from Hillross um, because of the – so AXA came on board um, and then we I ended up in one of the centres of excellence uh, looking after the value propositions for the licensees. And, and where did you guys meet? Like was that – because from memory, Michael, you were in that stable as well. Is that right? Uh, so I started up as a charter practice and That's really right. I, I came across Belinda when I got to a point where the turnover of staff was just getting way too high. So something wasn't right. And I think I came to the realization that we really needed better processes in the back office. And that that was really the kind of the key moment for me. Uh, and, and it was also right at that juncture where I was going, am I a sole practitioner just with some great staff or am I going to become a business? So, I did sit down with my wife and I said, look, I know what's involved to move from a sole practitioner to a business. Do we want to go on that journey? And she said, yes, because if you get sick or you do this. So, we made that decision. Now, a key part of being able to do that is to build out great processes and that that's not my skill set. Uh, and that's when I went to market to try and find a Belinda. And luckily, I found the Belinda. Uh, and I just went through a, a recruiter, Olivia, who was who was excellent. And uh, and Belle came in as a contracting role initially. Mm. And then we brought her in permanently probably three to six months into that contract. And, and was that um, did that coincide with, with when you were um, in that center of excellence or was that? No, I did actually have uh, another role as a practice manager okay. in a uh, financial planning practice over in North Sydney. Right, okay. So I kind of came on there and I, I did all of the, the X plan and the threads and the um, bookkeeping and all those things that come with the practice manager role. Um, and then my role got made redundant. So Lockie was um, consolidating. So he sold his tail. He was kind of going the other way. Um, I'm so glad this is an industry specific podcast. But, you know, just to hear someone saying he sold his tail um, <laughs> is. Uh, <laughs> is uh, for everyone out there, you know exactly what we're doing. It's the season D class clients, but um, it's, a, it's always a fun day. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yes, um, that's how I kind of ended up. I was looking for a role. Michael and I met initially um, and then I came on I said look it looks like we've got a, a, an issue with process and um, threads and, and automation in the business and Michael brought me on as a contract and so Michael did when you when you did that did you sort of at least put a front up and pretend you had something good going on or were you honest from the get-go oh, look, I always do what I do which is I hold the vision pretty strong um, and then those that buy into the vision come in and, and then find their seat on the bus uh, Bell's very much found that seat on the bus. I have a great back office um, team member who's been with me over 10 years now called Jessica. Runs the entire back office, can do it standing on a head. Um, but what we needed to do was to get that brilliant information out and into processes. And that's where Bell and Jess have just worked so fabulously. In fact, um, Jess worked closely with Sue from Elixir uh, way back when. And we actually downloaded all of that information into a manual. But the manual never really came to life. We needed Bell to bring that manual to life. And that's where she's really uh, been instrumental in building out cases and threads. And, and more than that, people now know when they come on board what's expected of them, uh, what their job is. Uh, what their tasks are. And because the cases and threads run so well, uh, everyone knows that nothing's really going to be missed. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 been, um, it's been a great addition. And I can't wait to, to, to sort of reflect with yourself towards the end of this of your vision of, of the future in, in, in practice management, Belinda, because you know, you're now 20 odd years in the business. Obviously, before that, you, you went straight from high school. You're some sort of men's a freak. Um, <laughs> but um, the, it's, Effectively, in fact, everyone in this room's careers has almost spent spanned the entire financial services industry. So it's going to be interesting, sort of, uh, to reflect even on these comments in, in ten years' time. Um, and outside of outside of work, outside of work, I'm married to Chris, my lovely husband, and I have two boys, Noah and um, Tom. They're twelve and nine, so they keep me very busy. Yeah, no wonder you're organised, right? <laughs> so um, absolutely, absolutely. And Michael, to rewind. Um, uh, you didn't pop out as a as a as CEO of a um of a, of a wealth practice. Tell me, what what was your first role, and when did you kick off in financial services? 
Yeah, so um, I took a different path. Uh, initially, I studied law and accounting, uh, took on a tax role at KPMG, initially in property and structured finance. Anything to do with the most recent stuff in the news? Uh, KPMG, yeah. no. Oh, no, okay. No. Uh, let, knock on wood, let's hope they don't get dragged into it. <laughs> um, but great learning, uh, great place to learn because they really do invest heavily in, in training and, and all of that. Uh, but tax never really was kind of my passion, but it was a great it was, it was a great learning ground in terms of what we do today. So I started in, in tax, uh, went from KPMG across to Chase Manhattan when they were merging with JP Morgan at the time, initially in a tax manager role and then across into investment banking. And then I went into sort of consulting with family businesses. So slow down. So because now I'm, I'm seeing the link now into you just said consulting with family businesses and your firm is called yeah. Family Wealth Advisory. So, take me through what were you doing in that role? Yeah. So, initially, I, was, I came on board uh, to start off with my with my family who ran a successful pharmacy. Um, but at the time, technology had come in, GST had come in, and their back office probably wasn't working quite as well. But, but my objective to go in there was to use the free cash flow of their business to build out an investment mandate for them, investment properties, share portfolios, those types of things. When I came on board, uh, what became quite self-evident is the business probably needed a little bit of uh, fine-tuning before the free cash flow really started spinning out. So I ended up spending three or four years um, building. Um, I brought in a news agency in, uh, it was right at the time, I don't know if you remember, but Kodak used to be a big part of pharmacies. Uh, and they used to do a lot of photo developing and that was dying off because of digital. So we brought a news agency. Yet again, for the, all the Gen Zs, just go on YouTube. <laughs> just just do your own backstory, right? So yeah, you'd, you'd literally take your camera in yep. to the same place that you in, bought your Viagra from yeah, and you'd get the photos done. It was just crazy. Yep. Uh, but that that was like almost thirty percent of the front of shop retail. Oh and wow! Yeah, it was, it was not insignificant, and and the margins on it were quite strong. So, uh, talk about a, a major change. And so, obviously, I needed to replace that cash flow. And we thought a, a news agency, you know, foot traffic coming through was was a good idea, and that worked out um, really well. And then within there, there was a division that was really starting to take off, which was um, uh, home aged care, which is like hospital beds, mobility aids, all those types of things. And so then we went in to try and create its own business, standalone business. For me, I was quite entrepreneurial at the time and I thought, well, I'll, I'll roll out a whole retail chain of these shops, Bova Living, um, set up some properties. So, set a little property trust up. And But really, ultimately, what I wanted, it was a feeder into financial services because yep. that's really where my heart and soul always was. But what I found was I just ended up getting caught in this one shop and I was, I was doing a lot of retail management and I thought, what am I doing here? Where's, where's my real passion? And it was at that point that I decided to um, take a sideways step and I actually went to work for my financial planner at the time. Uh, and that's, that was my first entry into financial planning. Uh, and I did that for about two or three years. But what I realized was that the way that they approached financial planning, and there's no right and wrong, but you know, for me, it's all about cash flow, getting their control of family's cash flow, and then from cash flow, kind of build a magnificent life for them. And and theirs with focus was more around leverage, leveraging into property, leveraging into um, different asset classes. And it just it wasn't really kind of me. And that's when I decided, well, I'll spin out, I'll set up Family Wealth Advisory, and, and then off we went. What year was that? Two thousand and nine. So I started in financial planning probably two or three months before the GFC. Cool. You didn't have much to crash. Yeah, I thought I, this is a normal day in the office. So yeah. Well, and and I suppose one of the outcomes of that um, period of time was that the investments all became a little bit more realistic. I think they're pretty mislabeled in the in the noughties. Um They're probably mislabeled now, but but um, you know people. People thought they were in conservative investments and really weren't. There was no real disclosures there. Yeah, it's, it, look, it's a great point, Roxy. People don't realize how important risk tolerance and risk capacity really is. And, and until you've been through a major cycle, everyone says they can take on risk. But when they're, they're facing a 40% correction in equities and they see the value of their portfolio, they really work out whether they can handle risk. Our job is to help them avoid that pain Correct. by really being very disciplined before going in. So, we, we, we take that very, very seriously, people's relationship with money. And I remember, um, I remember thinking I was a champion because um, I reduced our um, unlisted property exposure um, from, from 15 to 7.5%. It was still frozen. <laughs> so, so we still took years to get that back, but at least it was half as bad as we thought. But yeah, because you never know, do you? So, but um, and then you've started wealth, uh, family wealth advisor, just yourself. Um, your, your long-suffering wife, did she have to put up with you in that business or is... No, no, she's a, she's a corporate lawyer. So, she's she's got a very Smart busy enough. job. Yeah, Well done. Yeah. Um, so, no, we um, those paths never crossed. I don't think we could work together, truth be told. Um, 
But uh, so no, I started actually started with a business partner, but it just didn't work out after six months. You know, you know. Once you started working with someone. Well, hang on, hang on. Most people have bad business partners only work it out after 10 plus years. So after six months, um, either you or them had some pretty strong opinions on not being able to work together. Uh, I mean, uh, it was an interesting time for me. So I'd just gone through a divorce. I was setting up the business. There was only one way through this and this was go hard, yep. get focused, yep. we're off. So you were at a point of time in your life. That, that meant that there was no plan B as far as go. We're off. And yeah. uh, it became very evident probably in the first three to six months. And no, and no right or wrongs, but it just wasn't it wasn't gelling. And uh, I guess if I've got one skill set, it's uh, I, I hate confrontation. But if there's an issue, I can just not let it lie. And so, I, you, know, you, you bring things to a head and, the, and it's generally better to bring them to a head quicker. So, anyway, so we, we parted pretty early and then, um, yeah, and then it just really became one staff member at a time. I was pretty lucky early on. I got a great um, ex-advisor who came in who was happy to step back and become a paraplanner and basically become my right-hand person. And he spent two or three years doing that before he then spun out into an advisory role and now runs our Sylvania division um, okay. and doing really, really well. So, yeah, it just started um, one staff member at a time. And um, before I get into the real nitty-gritty of your practice with yourself, Belinda, tell me, the you mentioned there was a fair bit of turnover and, you know, Ensemble is all about the positive evolution of financial advice, but sometimes lessons that got to do with failure. So, what 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 sort of turnover did you have, and what 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 sort of things did you pinpoint were the reasons? Because clearly you fixed it. Yeah. But it just would be great for our listeners to hear. Yeah. So I think um, when I reflect on it now, the turnover really started probably two to three years before Bell came on board. So the first couple of years, it wasn't a major drama. Um, key staff members and me as a sole advisor. It's when we started really to push forward and we were hitting capacity in terms of numbers of clients and it was very, very busy. So what I would do is I would go and recruit what I thought were amazing people and I said, look, here's our vision. This is where we're heading. These are the type of clients we're looking after. You've told me you're amazing at what you do. Come on, sit on the bus, off we go. But I wouldn't spend time telling them. I would just be keep leading, right? I said, just follow me. And people didn't find their feet. They weren't given the opportunity to really thrive. When I look back on it now, I just thought- So, you- some of them went off the bus at the toilet stop and you went off without them and you didn't realize. <laughs> uh, so, this is where we're headed, right? So, just, just follow me. But I'm not great at- I'm not as good as what Belinda is at, at bringing people along for the journey. I'll Were keep- you aware of that at the time? No, I don't think I was. I was just like, this is a great vision. This is, you know, you're really good at your job. I'm good at my job. Off we go. Yeah. But in terms of looking back and sort of saying and nurturing them and saying, bring them along for the journey, that was really probably after I'd lost probably two, three, four really good people, I thought this has got to change. And if we want to run a proper business and really get to, because I've always had a vision, I want to, I want to, I want to look after a thousand families, right? The only way I'm going to get there is to find someone like Bell who can come on board and really set the foundations for we can actually run a proper business. So, Bell, earlier before, you know, off, I was going to say off camera, I've done that twice, Kieran the sound guy. We should get a camera. Can we, are we going to spring for a camera in 24? Yeah, he's nodding furiously. Um, off, off air, um, you were saying that actually you guys are quite similar in, in the personality profiling, right? So, so, um, uh, I imagine, you know, is it, how did you then train yourself? Because is your similarities more towards, sort of extroverted or, 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 or big picture thinking because I'm keen on if that's how you've done it, how have you managed, Belle, to then train yourself on those genuine skills of being process-orientated in detail? I think when we were talking about our profiles, we, we did a really good um, profile, which is WID, um, for, uh, which is why I do what I do. Yep. So, so we'll, we'll, of- we'll put a link to that, Karen, if you don't mind. Yep. And it was really good because it kind of unpacked how we, I guess, um, approach things, how we react to things in, in, you know, um, stressful situations and things like that. And I think that's where Michael and I are very similar. But I think, you know, sitting in front of both of us, we're quite very different people. Um, so I think I, I kind of like that. I really still like, um, systems. I like processes. I like things that are tidy and neat and, you know, um, so I, I enjoy doing all of those things. Michael, was that part, was that when you were growing up, were you, were you in an organized, orderly family or a, a bohemian? Oh, I grew up in a big family. There were six of us. Okay. So, so okay. So there was no room for indulgence. No. Was, everyone had a thing to do. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> 
And I think I was one of the older ones as well, and there was a fifteen-year gap between yeah. the oldest and the youngest. So right. I think maybe a, so you've a lot been a of my role three was times. correct. Yep. Yeah. So I think maybe I'm kind of used to organising and, and scheduling and okay. making sure things are, everything's in place. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And so so let's now, now hone back in on on the business. You mentioned just a second ago, Michael, that you want a thousand families, but maybe maybe Bill, how, what's the business look like at the moment? How many? Give me an idea of your org structure. How many ARs? You know, clients ratios. Just give me a bit of a feel for, for the operational, and then Michael, maybe jump in on the types of clients you're after, if you don't mind. Yep. Um, so we've got Michael, who is our, our principal and AR, and then we have another two ARs. We've got Robert, and we've got Vaughan. We've also got two. Uh, we've got our practice manager, Jess, who Michael mentioned earlier. We have uh, Christina, a our senior. Uh, associate and and what so can I jump in so with your senior associate is that is that a pathway towards being a, an advisor or is it sort of more always going to be looking after the the, the family office work to the, is that right yeah so uh, in Christina's case um, she's uh, she wants to stay as an associate doesn't really want to become an advisor that works really well for me yep so she's that's building you scope capability yeah she's she's my right hand person when yep. it comes to the advice part uh, of the families that I look after yep and so she really and, and she's been there for many years seven years yep so she knows the families really well she knows the families yep. really well and she knows what's happening and it's her job to make sure that I'm aware of what's happening um, because I, I can get quite busy and then um, so so she, yeah, she really acts as sort of my right-hand person when it comes to the advice management. So, so back to yourself, Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've got Christina as well. So Michael's pod. So we operate a pod system. Michael's- to pod or not to pod? And you guys yeah, are podding. We pod. <laughs> it's 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 all good. This is my favourite one. And why? Why are you podding? I think it, for us, it works really well in that our advisors like to come out and know that. Um, say, for example, it's Robin Vaughan and they've got Jade as their CSO, they know that Jade is looking after everything for them. So a pod is an advisor, an associate, and who else is in the pod? Well, Michael's pod has an associate because um, Michael's the boss and he gets one. Uh, but Robert and Vaughan have a CSO and they also have Lady, who is our VBP admin assistant. So doing, doing sort of the administrative task to back you up. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And um, in relation to pods, as you're building out the practice, does that mean that those individual advisors um, have carriage over those P&O lines for that particular pod? Is that what you've done or you centralise the, the accountability? Look, I think that's probably somewhere where we will get to. We're still quite early in the evolution from going from myself to um, that bigger business. Yep. So, we brought two advisors on two and a half years, two and a half, three years ago. Um, and we were sort of, it's for me, it's a five-year journey. Yep. So, uh, we built the infrastructure. So, we brought Bell on um, early to build the process. We brought the advisors on early so that they could grow together. And then we're going to backfill them with enough families where they're at maximum capacity. And is that... Previously, the families that you'd taken on. That's exactly Can I right. ask you how you hand them over? This is a great question. Yeah, because 18 months of just um, running the meeting as I would always run it and then they would just sit there silently and then the next meeting they would do a lot more of the follow-up and then they would be a little bit more active and you would – you. A lot of what we do is relationships and reading body language and certain clients um, transition pretty quickly, uh, others a little bit slower and some potentially not at all and you just have to be mindful. But I found over 18 months of letting them starting to do the heavy lifting, it's like Jess. My clients love Jess more than they love me because she does the doing. Um, and so once those advisors got in there and started doing all the hard work, the advise the the clients just naturally made that transition. Um, and so it was eighteen months of I guess not very productive work because we're in there just running meetings. But for me, it, it was very important. I wanted a seamless passing of the baton between me and the advisors. And you do understand it's that self awareness piece that you've just intimated that goes all the way back to the conversation that you have with your wife. Do you want a highly paid job or do you want a business? Um, I remember um, transitioning clients from from myself to my advisors in about 2005 and and um, initially you worry whether they'll go across and then you actually worry they go across too quick. <laughs> you know, so, so like but, but, you know, like it's that self-awareness piece. So, so then with, with, with the, you've got the pods there and, and little things like um, you guys are, how are you licensed? Self-licensed from memory? Yep. When, when did When did that happen? 
It was around about 2018. I was with Charter. Um, Charter were great. Uh, initially, they were part of AXA yep. and they had a beautiful cash flow model where you, if you backed yourself through the first year, they would cash flow you through the first year and then you roll out and refinance with a bank. Um, and so, that really got me going uh, at the start. And then AMP came in and bought out uh, AXA to get their hands on North, the North platform, I guess, amongst other things. And... Um, it's not that anything was broke, but we tend to push up uh, to, to some of the uh, high net worth, ultra, ultra high net worth families. And some of them were starting to push back or at least some of the advisors, the, the, client, the clients were coming from were saying, why are you leaving us to go to an AMP financial planner? And um, so that plus the fact that we wanted to move into managed portfolios and run our own managed portfolios, it just seemed the logical step was to start setting up our own AFSL. So back in 2018, made that decision, um, set up our own license. We left Charter and all amicable and then... um, uh, and then off we went. Initially, I started with a, a lawyer to give us support. Um, but really, after a couple of years, we probably outgrew the lawyer and we found the principals community. And they've just been absolutely fabulous when oh, it comes shout to- Shout out to Con. Con and the team. Uh, Adam and Nathan have just been sensational. Um, Bill does a lot of our compliance. Uh, and uh, just having them as support has just been sensational. Can I ask a subsequent question about Principles Community? So, so they've helped you guys out with guidance. What other things have they helped you out with on on the ground, Val? Oh, I guess um, I guess any any kind of compliance issues that cr- kind of crop up that are out of the ordinary. Nathan's always there um, on the end of the phone to answer any queries there. Um, from a community point of view I think it's amazing uh, we went up to the Gold Coast to the conference this year and just the amount of sharing and openness in that community mm. it's amazing and, and Adam and Nathan kind of connect us all with um, with that community. Perfect so. I mean you're here today talking on the Ensemble platform that I think as of this morning has 8,700 of Australia's ARs listening um, and on it and then we, we, we started it as peer-to-peer learning just to help and encourage each other um, and it's very much on a digital sort of space and, and it complements seamlessly with with uh, organisations like the Principals Group that do that and then some as far as the interpersonal mm. relationships. So, yeah, it's a great it, – it's, uh, you know, the metamorphosis from the old, you know, AMP-orientated uh, days, which which were quite good fun when you went to meet your peers face-to-face to now is is, is real. What, what's your tech stack that you're running off? What have we got? So, we've got X-Plan is our – is our universe for our clients' information. So all clients, all file notes, everything like that kind of sits on there and then we kind of stack uh, Office 365 and we use that. We'll use things like we're trying to use more collaborative um, parts of that, so using Teams more collaborative. Teams are awesome. Yeah. I love Teams. Mm. And Office 365 off the shelf is already you're at DEFCON for data security. Mm. So, um, and what about Copilot? Have you toyed with Copilot yet? <laughs> it, it hasn't launched for us yet. Um, so, uh, our CTO, we've got him. Whoa, whoa, whoa you got a CTO. We're, Tell me about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've, we've got a CTO contracting in. Um, for me, uh, I just, so we brought him in on, on June, July. Just with the way that technology is changing and the way that I think advice is going to be delivered, for me, it was critical to make sure that we were just staying at the front of all of that. Um, so the first thing that um, Jacob's done, though, has locked security down. And uh, so I thought we, we had some pretty tight security, but he's, he's just taken it to a next level, um, which has just been been great. Um, but then really, to, to, to Bell's point, we now want Jacob to start looking from a practice management point of view about where where is it that technology can make our team's life easier and how can we make our clients' experience that much yeah, better. Yeah, and just enable it. And, and, and you completely... Right with with those that that tech stack there, um, wouldn't it be good if if X Plan sort of um, you know had a few more resources? Well, actually, stay tuned because we might have a, a bit of a pleasant surprise in the new year with with those guys because um, they are the incumbent as far as vice production, um, and um, we're really looking forward to being able to create a bit more positive feedback yeah. with them and create a few more loops. That'd be good. Um, the when you said you came across Mint Self License, it was to do with managed portfolios. So, could I ask how many families? You said a thousand your aspiration. Where are you guys at now? One hundred eighty-three. Approximately one hundred eighty-three. Okay. So, and you're not the numbers guy. <laughs> okay. And um, uh, Michael, to you, what do they look like? What's a, what's a family look like? Because everyone's got families, but what's 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 the 
definition of a family wealth advisory family? So our niche really is family business owners. That's a niche uh, that we sort of specialize in. I guess a little bit of my background around accounting, uh, understanding tax, management of cash flow, asset protection, tax planning, succession planning, and on the legal side, the estate planning and the asset protection. It just seemed to tick all of the strategic yep. boxes. Plus, they're just great people to who, work who with. Who do you partner with? Like you must partner. If you need accountants and lawyers. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of our center influencers are accountants. Yep. Um, lawyers are great. They don't tend to be great cross referrers, but they're great at transactions. We won't work. give the lawyers a shout. Have you got any accountants who give you referrals that you like give a shout out to? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few. So um, we work with a practice down in, in Sylvania called HYD, uh, which I believe stands for Harvest Your Dreams. Um, so HYD. And uh, we're just starting to do a little bit more work with uh, an accounting firm in North Sydney called Murchison's. And one of our other advisors has an accounting practice out in the Northwest. So that's sort of in that kind of family business space. And then um, some of the bigger accounting firms uh, sort of tend to refer through the kind of the high net worth, ultra high net worth family. So initially the specialty was around family businesses, but really it's about anyone that wants to kind of get control of their cash flow to live a better life, what we call a magnificent life. Uh, and then we started onboarding C-suites, so the, the CEOs. Um, so we probably look after about maybe five or six CEOs of public listed companies. We've got a handful of ultra high net worth, so we'll probably push up as high as a couple of hundred mil in terms of families that we'll look after. And then at the accumulator level, it's, it's accumulators that can free up enough cash that we can get in there and really kind of change their life. So be that debt reduction, wealth, getting ahead of the game. So as long as um, we're not really fun based, we're not trying to bring clients in from a fun base. It's more, um, can we add value? Can we help you get control of your cash flow to, to free up your life? And, and is there any particular um, company that you use for the cash management? Uh, no. So initially when I set the practice up, I really sort of dove deep into it. Uh, tried to strip down exactly how much clients were spending, how much they weren't spending. Uh, and then what I've learned- It's always uh, scary to have a look at someone's personal discretionary spending. I know. Because you've got to look at them again in the next meeting. Well, we were almost <laughs> going to go to the step where we would funnel all the money into Macquarie CMA account and then, and, and then feed them a salary right, that they would live off. I quickly decided not to do that. Um, what I did learn to be true was if we could estimate what their savings capacity was, we would take that on the first day of the month and then they would just learn to live on what was left and a quarter later we would then meet with them and say can we increase that a little bit more and I found that the most effective way to help families take control of their cash flow because you're forcing them into this savings you're building this wealth and then you've got that compound interest working in the background uh, and that's that's what I found to be the most effective way to do it as opposed to kind of using software to drill in too deep and and so um, because you work a lot with accountants, um, do you use zero at all, or is that just something on the side? Um, we don't use zero at a, at a practice no. level. We we use zero really for invoicing. Just your own stuff, yeah. Our own clients. What's interesting you say that so um, about the cash management, and you don't use Macquarie because I'm about to show you. Um, I'm on, I'm still on Macquarie Bank's website as the user oh. of of cash management trust, exactly the same as what you do. So so to say that I believe in running cash flow would be an understatement um with the with the portfolio um do you run mdas are you a wholesale license or a retail or a combination we're both both yeah. and and so um belinda how do you differentiate so is it by client or by task in terms of whether the wholesale or retail so do you do you, do you have a separate desk or, or what a figure of speech yep no. Did you want to answer that? Anyway? Yeah. So we've, we've typically treated everyone as retail to till quite recently. Yep. Even our um, ultra high net worth families, we've just always treated as retail. So that Is that because I- we're in the midst of the Royal Commission for 10 years and you're worried? It was just because the, the, when I looked at wholesale three or four years ago, I just couldn't get comfortable with a solution that seemed fairly black and white. Got it. it was very gray. And I don't want to run a business with a lot of grey. And uh, whereas I know if I just treat even my ultra high net worth families as retail, they'll get documentation. We make it as seamless as possible. It still works. But we did get to a point where to be able to move into certain products, we needed to move clients into that wholesale. So it's probably only in the last sort of six to 12 months that we've actually started building out a standalone wholesale offering Yep. Uh, where we'll move out of the retail clients, move away from SOAs and more into wholesale documents. So that's still fairly much in its infancy. Um, 
And and um, how do you arrange your SMAs and MDAs? What, do you have an investment manager? Do you towards a platform? Um, let's give some shout outs to people who work well for you. Yeah, so at a portfolio construction level, yeah. when when we set up the license, we decided to set up our own managed portfolio, so family wealth managed portfolios. To do that, I wanted to bring in experts. So we brought in Brad Matthews and we've also brought in Mercer. So they both sit on the investment committee and Mercer are also the investment manager on the managed gotcha. portfolio. Brilliant solution. They bring a lot of um, smarts and heavy lifting to portfolio construction to the SAA, DAA. So very, very happy with the way that that runs. And then we went shopping to which platform could we run it on. Uh, And at the time, North came back with probably the best offering for us. And so we launched our SMA on North, uh, probably one of the earlier ones on there back in 2019, I believe it was. Uh, And we've been running it on there since. So that that runs and the investment committee meets monthly. Um, And look, a shout out to the North who've uh, just recently... um, uh, they've got a space on the Ensemble platform, which is a really useful tool for people who uh, utilize them for full investments or are looking to it. So, well played to them. It's about, you know, positive evolution and getting good products in front of good people. Um, yeah. Do you have a um, – we spoke earlier and you said you used to have a, a board of advice or advisory board, but but more specifically – and that's no longer the case because I think some members of your, your advisory board – um, found other another jobs. Is that right? Yeah, he was an ex CEO and um, used to run Osterio, and then um, uh, he was sitting on my board. But then, unfortunately for me, uh, had to leave and, and went to New Zealand, took on another CEO role over there. Uh, and then I was sort of busy at the time, and I just never reconstructed the board. And uh, but it's only recently that I've decided to bring a business coach back on, just to kind of keep me more more accountable. And so, um, can I ask about the cadence of your business coaching? So, is it someone who comes in and you do a whiteboard session or is it quarterly, monthly? What's what's the cadence? Uh, still very early. We're probably only three months into it. So, um, have me back, Roxy, and I'll tell you in 12 months. No, no problems. Well, uh, Kieran, the sound guy, we've got, we've, got, we've got a guy begging to come back in a year. <laughs> so, I think we, we recently had a great um, session with a, a, a lady, Alicia Laird, and um, she came on here three years ago when she was just starting her business and and um, was so interesting that such a determined woman, the proclamations of what she said she was going to do were pretty bang on. So, um, I can't wait to um, vindicate yourself on that comment. So, Bill, given that you've got team members and you're moving to Microsoft Teams, for instance, you've got people in your office, you've got work from home, you clearly you've worked through COVID. Um, how do you maintain sort of the daily rhythms of, of working with your team? Do you have patterns? Is it on Zoom? Is it on Teams? Maybe give us a bit of a feel for, you know, the, the real nitty gritty of the daily. Yeah, good question. Um, so we're a hybrid um, workplace. So we are at home Mondays, Fridays, and we're in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And then we obviously have our VBP staff who are in the Philippines. So uh, we also have mon- uh, a a weekly catch-up. So, yep. the whole team gets on, on um, Teams every Monday. We all get together to talk about what's happening for the week. And then each pod also has catch-ups throughout the week. So, okay. we have a few catch-ups as well. So, I guess they're like, like little huddles yep. just to keep on top of things, what's happening, quick catch-ups. And I, we always like quick catch-ups because otherwise you can just have meeting over, overload. Uh, absolutely. And then, then that all cascades to yourself, Belle. And then what do you have a one-on-one with, with Michael um, uh, at the sort of the C-suite or what's What's your candor? We will catch up once a month on the big projects. So a lot of the, the things that I work on with Michael are kind of project-based. Yep. So we'll kind of check in and say, okay, are these the projects still the, the top priority? Do we need to reprioritize those? What's happening? What's changed? So we'll kind of set that time aside to, to talk about those things. Yeah, and Belle's um, – so I kind of know what I what I need and what I want. So Belle gives me a, a nice summary uh, – uh, on the on a Monday Monday morning, which will be it's it's more kind of key activities that I'm looking for. How many meetings have all the advisors had? How many phone calls have they had with clients? Um, how many SOAs ROAs have gone out? Have we lost a client? Cool, lots of questions here. I want to know what you're looking for. So, what makes you happy? How many meetings would you like a, a person to have? Uh, well, I mean, I think they say the research that good good practices, are, you know, between sort of eight six to eight. Those are running at ten. The more meetings. Uh, what I understand is the more you get in front of clients, the better you're going to do. So the more at, the more um, advisors are just staying in front of their clients, the the better off the practice is going to be, and the happier everyone is. So um, because we're in a building out phase where both of our advisors still have capacity, yep. I'm not expecting them to be hitting that. 
but the but for me it's just about seeing activity and um and so i've got kind of my my dashboard that comes through on a weekly basis and that that's sort of gives me a pretty good indication as to how the practice is going. Awesome. And when if I work backwards, you've got 183 very specific number of, of, of families and you want 1,000. You've got, you've got three people at the moment, two of which are, are, are building into their capacity cup. feels like you, you're thinking about 80 to 100 families per, per AR. Is that what you're thinking? Yeah. So, yeah, is that, is that roughly where, where we're at? I think that's about yeah. right. So the average family uh, uh, pays us around about 10000 a year. Obviously, it's a bit skewed. The bigger ones yep. pay a lot more. Uh, but if, if we run the numbers there, it really is how much capacity does each advisor have to look after? We've got one uh, advisor that, that really loves working with a re- retiree, pre-retiree. We've got another that loves working with those family businesses and the accumulators. Uh, and I tend to be in the kind of the more complex, uh, ultra high net worth family space and the C-suite. So um, a little different. So I'll probably run 40 families and, and both the other ones are running 60-ish each. So... Um, uh, it, it just depends. But I would say if I was to guess the type of clients we're looking after, it's a, it's around about 100. Yep. So if I run those numbers, reverse engineer it, depending on what's happening with technology, I would say we'd probably need to build out to somewhere between eight to 10 advisors. Yeah, you need, next- you need like f- five to six more ARs. You probably need um, X number of more support staff in that you're operating, uh, Bill. Um, so, yeah, you, 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 to achieve your goals, it feels like an overall both here and, and overseas headcount of about 40 to 50 people. Would that be about right? Possibly 10 advisors and support staff. Yeah, I think I think it's between eight to ten advisors. I think would get us to where we need to, and then there's the support staff. Well, to do. well, strap in, guys, because I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Um, we're going to talk about people and culture because right now we're going to talk about what you've currently got, right? Um, and and uh, you know, if I'm listening to this and I feel like that that's not a scalable thing, then I'm going to also question how you're going. So so let's talk about the you know I like to ask why do people join you? Why do they stay, and how do you grow with them? So so Bill. Maybe give us a feel for, um, you know, how you've historically recruited your engine room, what you're looking for. Um, do you guys do anything special in the way in with recruiting at all? Uh, so normally we'll, we'll use our recruiters that we've, we've got um, relationships with. Um, any, normally- any good ones you want to? Put on the record. We've got Olivia, Olivia got James. Yeah, we've got, we got some uh, good recruiters. You, in my experience with the recruiters is you want a recruiter that really understands your business. So one that's not going to waste your time with bringing um, just all and sundry in. And so the recruiters that we work with really know the type of clients, the type of um, employees that we're looking for. Uh, and they've, they've actually been really, really good. Okay. Yeah. So I think in terms of the type of people that we're looking for obviously we're looking for qualified people but it's it's kind of more than that i i find that culture is is the biggest part for us we're looking for that okay so so that's a buzzword right so what's what's the encapsulated sort of family wealth advisory culture yeah yeah so um, because michael did say I'm going to handle the values section of the people, and Belinda has to do all the heavy lifting elsewhere. So, so, so it's over to Spotlight. you. Spotlight. And Belinda, you're about to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. So, in terms of the culture, our deep values are a love of learning, a love of teaching, and a love of empowering the families that we look after. All right. In terms of the principles that underpin those values, integrity, excellence, enthusiasm, and a sense of fairness. So when I'm when we're looking for people to join our culture, we need people who deliver excellence, who are passionate about learning and teaching and empowering the families that we're looking after. They need to be enthusiastic about how they go about their day in looking after our families. They need to have a sense of fairness when they're dealing with um, either us, uh, other employees, um, or as they're dealing with, with clients. Define enthusiasm, right? Because Sometimes in professional services, enthusiasm can almost be like being a sycophant or being a little bit too easy to please. Well, what, what's your definition of, of professional enthusiasm? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I see enthusiasm as a sort of one of the fundamental um, feelings that you need to bring when you're on purpose. So, um, you need to love what you're doing. You need to be grateful for what you're doing. And you need to be sort of inspired or, or certain is probably a better word, right? Certain about what, why you're getting out of bed and what are you doing? The last part of that is enthusiasm. If you've got those first, if you love what you're doing, if you're grateful for what you're doing and you're certain about what you're doing, it's hard not to be enthusiastic about what you do on a daily basis. So it's bringing in an energy, which 
maybe it's just a nice way of saying you really care. Hmm. No, I love it. I love it. You've, you've actually defined really well, certain, grateful. And when I talk to people who, um, who really love their job, without prompting the comment they say is that I get out of bed every morning ready to go. You know, it's a real kind of mindset thing. And that's not just because you've got nice food at the tuck shop. It's, it's a bunch of other things. So you're identifying that. So Bill, how, how in the, the back office have you ensured that those values are, are, are part of the, 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 the matrix of bringing people through? Yeah, I think um, we kind of see that in the way that the team interacts with with each other. Yep. We also kind of see it in the ways that they interact with our clients as well. So it's that with clients, it's always that level of care, the the um, the want to deliver the best service, the mo- an excellent level of customer service, and a great experience. And I guess when it's it's the the within the team, it's that. Mutual respect for each other. Everybody comes in with different backgrounds, with different experience. And, you know, the senior advisors, they can always learn something from the CSO um, and vice versa. So everybody can learn off each other as well. So we do do a lot of training, kind of ad hoc training and things like that. And um, it's great with technology now. Everybody can train each other, record something on Teams, make it available for everyone. It's, um, it's just having that that culture of in, a continual learning, improvement. Um, it's the the comments like, hey, Belle, um, you know, this is not working quite well. I was thinking maybe we could do it this way. So rather than coming to me with a problem, they're coming with the problem and, the, you know, a, a suggested solution and that will to kind of work together to build and make it better. Yeah, and you've obviously framed up yourself as a professional that, that, that they feel comfortable in being able to do that. So, you know, the antithesis of command and control, so um, which is, you know, the best way of, 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 of obtaining your ideas. Plus, you may also – you must also have a reasonable level of efficiency for people to actually have enough time to breathe and put some stuff in the suggestion box. Maybe not every week. I did see the eyes roll just then. <laughs> Maybe not every week, but some weeks, right? We have so many new clients right now, but yes, <laughs> it's yeah. busy. So, um, in saying that, you mentioned that, that um, Tuesday, Wednesday – Thursday, everyone's in the office per se, except for the people that are working remotely, and then Mondays and Fridays. Um, is that something that uh, that you see being a long term, or is it something that has just worked so well thus far? I, I think uh, it's working for us so far. Uh, for me, it's getting that balance between having a, a strong energy and culture, and how many days do the people need to be together, uh, physically together, to achieve that outcome. And um, for us, the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday seems to be working quite well. Fair enough. And Michael actually buys the team lunch on Tuesdays, on Tuesdays as well. So, so we all have Heard lunch first together. Year, or is, this, yeah. is, this, is this a news flash? Is that right? So, <laughs> so we have 100% attendance on Tuesday. We do. <laughs> 100%. Is, Tuesday, is it half price Tuesday at the Taco Joint? No, we had Spice, Spice Temple, Temple this now. week. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So um, apologies to everyone who's just about to lose their uh, foodies who are also <laughs> advisors. Um, now, which brings me into um, uh, you've given me the cadence of, of the weekly, but how do you celebrate? You know, do you have targets for the business as far as advice? But do you, but Bill, do you have targets for the operational side of the business? A number of things, and and if you do that, like, what does a win look like? Oh, well, I guess we've, we've got client number targets. Yep. Um, implementation have always found it quite hard to create targets because some can be very quick, short ones. Yep. And as you know, and with our clients as well, most of them are not quick and they're not short because they're all different. Um, so it, it, we kind of find it hard to put hard numbers against yep. those types of things. But in terms of celebrating, the wins and, and whatnot. We do do quite a few celebrations in the office. We'll um, do lunches and, and team um, outings and things like that. So we did bowling and um, and interactive darts, darts. Not, not long ago. So that really brought out the competitive so side. So interactive in darts. Yeah. I've only, I'm only aware of darts where one throws something at a wall. Is this where you all stand around and throw it at each other? <laughs> <laughs> It was it was an actual dart board, wasn't it? It but it, was. But it, it was digital in that the score just came straight up. Oh, gotcha. So you didn't okay. have to count okay. backwards from three hundred. Okay. So yes. I was picturing Hunger Sorry. Games. It's like okay, so we've 
times are tough. <laughs> we don't want to make the hard decisions, so uh, rip in. No, I think we we just we try to do an offsite, and uh, we spend the time where we we touch on vision and values and why we're doing what we're doing and kind of what's ahead and, and what's happening. Um, and at the end of that offsite, we then uh, go out and we celebrate. So we have a nice lunch, and uh, and this time we decided to go and do darts and, and bowling, which was really fun. With the business, as far as the financials one, so what's the ownership structure of the business, Michael? Uh, at the moment, it's myself as the owner of the business. Yep. And uh, we're just starting to explore um, how we can release equity. And why? 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 Why bother? Well. Um, for me, I guess we we have that sense of fairness. So if I want people to um, be as invested in the business as me and want to build the business as much as I want to build it and where I want to take it, it probably doesn't feel equitable to not share some of that upside for those that are prepared to take on that role because it's very different between the chicken and you know in in the meal of bacon and eggs, the pig is very committed to that meal, whereas the chicken can kind of lay an egg and. If you're going to be a business owner, there's a different journey to being an employee. And I'm not saying there's a right and wrong to that, but for those that want to become a business owner and take that journey with me, then I want to create that opportunity for them to have that ride. Uh, And so, to me, it just seemed like a natural evolution of kind of where I wanted to take the business. So, first of all, we're not putting any links to that bacon and egg comment (laughs) in in, in the attachments. Um, Second of all, what I found in doing the engine room is that that increasingly that's also in um uh, the esops also included in um uh the operations team general manager so it's, it's not just historically it was just business writers but i think as the industry has evolved is that kind of similar to what you were thinking yeah so at this point we're just the preliminary stages of how do we make it happen what's the one yeah. of the best mechanics we've had some great discussions with uh, options in terms of how we can make it happen we've had some great discussions with um uh, we can shout out to Macquarie Bank who uh, provide a solution that can help yep. um, the new advisors or new uh, new owners come. Yep, they can the fund it as well, right? So um, yeah. yeah, and so and so just getting all those mechanics in place, um, and then in terms of the key people that will come through, it's yeah, absolutely those people that will um, want to be part of the journey and can help shape the business moving forward. So uh, I don't think that's necessarily going to be limited just to um, advisors. Yeah, and I think there's no doubt that in order for both of you to achieve sort of what your big hairy audacious goal of a thousand um you know family offices you're going to have to put some some um you know not just the short-term rewards but really as you say the the mindset of a business owner is the person who says well we're not printing color double we're not it's it's black and white print if we have to you know or and also we are going to go the extra mile for a client we're going to do that discretionary effort and and in fact um what we've found um, at VBP is that that we have a share in the game where um, our team members share um, once we hit a certain level of EBIT, they get a percentage of it, and that was implemented uh, two years ago. And in fact, I think we just picked up the global award for it, and it's uh, it's massively increased discretionary effort for the people who've lent in. So it, it, it works at all levels, right? Yeah, so, um, but yeah, that was uh, that was. Um, Something so uh, ESOP, you heard it here first as well. Is that right? Or have I? Uh, we're going to edit this one out, and no, we're going to keep it. It's perfect. It's perfect. Um, the actual other parts of the the people game, okay. And you mentioned that it's it's you've got to get the right type of people. Now, um, have you got many younger people in your business, or are they or they sort of uh, is it is, is it a spread of, of ages? I think it's a bit of a spread, isn't it? Yep. So we've kind of got early twenties. Yeah. So um, it is a bit of a spread. So I'm I'm fifty. Uh, so I'd probably be one of the oldest in the practice. And then uh, we've got uh, probably early twenties. So yeah, quite a quite quite a nice That's spread. I, I always know when I'm I'm plugging in the dates of birth into zero, and I'm like. <laughs> what? Nothing wrong, that's with, when I, nothing wrong I, with 73, mate. That's when I left school. Right. That's when I left school. That's when I graduated from uni. Uh, yeah, so, so quite a good spread. Mm. I know, fantastic. And in relation to um, other financial planning practices, and you mentioned that, uh, you know, historically you were with, with both of you were with Richard, you were with Hillrise, Bell. So you were in big communities, which meant you, and in fact, Bell, you, your, your job was to look at, you know, practice improvement. Um, now, now you've kind of you've gone off and become self-licensed in 2018. We had COVID. You've now bouncing back into the principals community for as much as the coaching they give, but also to meet your your peers. Um, where do you see the role 
Belinda of, of, of the general manager in financial services and, and, and its importance in the ecosystem. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the, I've, I've always seen that practice management role as that role that um, makes it happen. So I think I don't think the role will change too much, but I think in this environment where everyone's talking about technology and they're talking about AI and they're talking about there's a lot of change, I think, still to come in the next um Does it scare you, the change? A little bit, but it's more exciting, I think, as well. I think there's there's a lot of opportunity and I think there's a lot of things happening. I hear so many things and the amount of emails I get on new AI this and AI that. Um, I think it'll we'll get there, but we've just got to wait a little bit longer. Um, and I think the role that the, the practice managers or the GM plays is helping to embed and implement things in the business because I think Michael, he's great at seeing the clients and he's got the vision for the business, but he doesn't have time to make things happen, so make, make, make his um, vision happen. So it's just really, I guess, doing, doing the, what did you call it, Michael, doing the, the grunt work. Um, and turning that dream into reality. So managing the change across the business, training staff, um, making sure that the team have the tools and the environment to thrive. Yeah, and and I've seen many instances where you've got the front man or the front woman and they're brilliant with clients and they say all the right things and they say all the right things but they don't put their trust in a good quality GM or a PM. They don't allow them discretion to run their job. They hire someone in that role, then micromanage them in completely their image and it doesn't work. Yeah. And it's but it does it does feel especially when quite often these businesses are one person's baby, you know, I think having that decision and to to actually decide whether you want to scale your business up or not. And by the way, or not is also a great option. I'm a big believer in hyper specialization where um, you know practices could be a, a medical clinic, but you might bring in someone to do uh, you know one part of the operation and, and definitely our industry needs and deserves those those highly skilled practitioners. But if you're building a business out to service more people, it's that it's that trust, I believe. Um, in, in practice management. And how are you finding – so historically the, the other sides are the suppliers, so whether it be the technology or the platforms or investment funds or even insurers, um, and um, they used to always clamber over the ARs and sort of almost forget the back office. Um, is that still happening or do you see a progression towards a little bit more inclusiveness? Some of the suppliers will uh, I've got relationships with. I guess our our, our main ones like yep. North and and X Plan and things like that. So I I do have relationships with majority of our tech providers, um, our platform providers, and things like that. But I'm guessing that the things like the BDMs for the the funds and things like that they prefer to go and talk to the advisors. Um, that's kind of. I think oh, they'll learn. They're all listening, right? So, <laughs> so uh, it's a team effort, and and you know it is good to sort of approach people as a team. Um, the other thing is vision for the future, Michael. So maybe um, a bit of a vision for the future of advisory. You've given me a Polaroid of where you are today, which, by the way, was your vision statement ten years ago of where you wanted to be. But where do you see your business in the industry in ten years? Yes, I think the relationship with the clients remains the same. Uh, The way in which advice is delivered to those clients, I think, will change over time. And I think technology will play a a key role in that. Um, So, things like client portals, more effective communication, uh, quick response rates. It's it's like when someone orders a pizza and they see that pizza getting delivered on their phone. It's that seeing the the progress of advice and seeing how they're progressing through their life those sort of visuals will definitely improve. Um, but I think in terms of people's relationship with money, I'm hoping that technology will only enhance our ability to do what we do and give our clients a better experience. So, uh, look, I think a lot of change is coming. I think fundamentally that relationship still remains. Uh, and then what we're trying to do at Family Wealth and obviously bringing on um, our CTO is so that the CTO can work with Bell to make everyone's job just a little bit easier. So we'll yep. catch up monthly and we'll say, right, what's one area of frustration? So just recently, we um, file notes 
uh, everyone would do a meeting, would do file notes. So we found some technology that can do all the digital uh, that will um, that will take all the file notes in a meeting, summarize the meeting notes, and they're just there. So that's that's just one little efficiency. So we're always looking for those areas where um, technology can just make everyone's life a little bit easier and make our clients' experience a little bit better. So the, for those playing along at home, Kieran has just reprimanded <laughs> us for the third time for gesticulating and uh, karate chopping the table. So I think uh, uh, M Bova's two and zero. I think Bell, you've been good enough that I've seen lots of ha- great hand movements, but they've been very much above the shoulder. Um, uh, Bova's uh, Italian. What am I going to do? <laughs> it works against so me. So funny. So funny. Look. Um, we're at it. Are you guys in the market for any uh, roles at the moment? Are you, on, you on, are you looking for any advisors to join, or or maybe to bring their clients from a private bank? You know that kind of thing. What, what, what where where are we at? We we're, we're um, at the moment we're not looking to bring uh, anyone right now, but I'd say probably in the next twelve to eighteen months, depending on how the new families come through the door, uh, we'll probably start to look at the next addition to the team. Um, and look. When I say a thousand families, that's something which has always been a goal of mine. I, I have no time frame. It's not like I need to be there in five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. That was just something I committed to myself that I wanted to be able to have that impact on a thousand families. Um, so really, we're governed by how quickly the business will grow. We've always been 100% referral based. Um, and so once we get to capacity or probably six to 12 months before capacity, we'll start to open up the doors and absolutely we'll be in the market for great advisors that would fit um, our culture and great support staff that can then help the advisors deliver those solutions through to the families. No doubt a lot of advisors are, are listening, a lot of people in, in CSOs and other things listening, they're, they're liking what they hear, they're liking what they hear based on the people. They're also liking what they hear because you've got a specific and pretty clearly defined target client base and sometimes people are really drawn to one client base or another. So um, we'll definitely put that in the links that, um, you know, all, all of your links and whatnot. And, and I suppose I'd like to end today with really thanking thanking both of you. Thanks, thanks Bill, for coming and, and, and supplying uh, sort of the, the details, the glamour, the rigour, keeping myself and Michael in check. Thanks, Kieran, the sound guy, for, for uh, reprimanding the, the, the client for karate chopping <laughs> the thing. But uh, to, to be fair, he, 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 he kicked off of a pretty, a pretty low ball coming on your hat to start with. So, <laughs> so uh, it's all, all fair and love and war. And, and, Michael, congratulations on your business. We've seen it from afar. You run a quality business. You've got quality people. I hear nothing but great things. So on behalf of myself, the Engine Room and Ensemble, um, thank you for spending time with me. Thanks for having us, Roxy. Thanks, Roxy. Really appreciate that.